Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series on joy, and this one's called God's Part and Your Part. The question for you to get started with today is, what type of community of faith did you grow up in, and what was good about it, and what was bad about it? Enjoy. We are in this series in the book of Philippians talking about this idea of joy because Paul is in prison and he's dealing with suffering. So it's kind of this irony that the moment that Paul gets to talk about joy and constantly keeps reminding us to rejoice is when Paul is suffering. And partly why it's ironic is that Paul is trying to lead us to these deeper realities of what it means to be human. And so what we're going to talk about today is the joy of resurrection, That in 2019, in Los Angeles, what does resurrection have to do with everything? Because for the early church, it had everything to do with everything. And so we're going to start at the end, and I'm going to kind of work my way forward, that what we're getting to is that our joy is found in resurrection, and what does that actually mean for your life now? And Paul talks about this idea of resurrection by saying, I don't know what's going to be resurrected in my life. I just have faith and hope that Jesus was resurrected and that my life too could be resurrected as well. But I do know this, that I can stand with Jesus in death and suffering. He's like, that I know for sure is coming. And that is true of every single human being. And if death and suffering is a commonality that we all share with one another, then I think that we all hope for a resurrection for the things that we're suffering from. And so I look at it kind of in this way, that in the 12-step world, they always talk about the idea that the first step is powerlessness. Powerlessness is simply this idea, there's just some things that God needs to do. There are just some things that we cannot do as human beings, and I think that is what we would call resurrection. There are just some crosses that we cannot handle on our own. There's just some suffering that we cannot figure out. There are just some things that we are just not smart enough for and articulate for and can't handle as human beings, and sometimes it is okay to admit that you are powerless and that you desperately need a God to resurrect you from that place in life is what Paul invites us into. And then Paul says, but you're not helpless. You might be powerless, but there's things that you can do in your life. There are choices that you can make that will help you in the suffering that you're in. Because both things are dangerous. I think self-help in the world that we live in on Instagram is very helpful right now. There's a lot of people telling you a lot of great things. But sometimes, even if you work just as hard as them, you're not going to be that famous. You're not going to be that rich. Just the same good-looking as you were before. Like, you know... These are just factual things. But we don't, we're not always promoted on that, right? And there, what we're not always told in the self-help world is there's just some things that you're never going to do on your own, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of being human. And then some of us grew up in the world of church where it's just supernatural. Come on, Jesus is going to fix everything right now. Who's got a lottery number? Amen. And you're like, that wasn't helpful either. Because many of you prayed for things and lived into the supernatural or asked God and nothing changed in your life. So it's not either or, it's the mystery and faith of both and is what we're invited into. So follow along with me in Philippians chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Come on. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. I so badly wanted to have Sammy play like who let the dogs out right here. I didn't set it up, but imagine it happened. It was awesome, right? Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? Okay. 
Good job, guys. Yeah, that was good. That was nice. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by God's Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we got to do a little bit of work here. This passage, there's a lot of things going on. First, what Paul's inviting us into is this idea that uh, in Paul's world, the common problem that was going on in the early church was that there was people who were becoming Christians, these Gentiles and these heathens, these people who were not Jewish. And then there was the Jews who said, okay, well, now you're going to receive Christ, or Jesus is now going to be your Lord. Jesus is, you no longer have Caesar as your Lord. You're no longer participating in whatever religion. You're participating in a new kind of kingdom in which every single human being is equal. That's what was radical about this kingdom of Jesus. What was not radical about the kingdom of Jesus in the first century was that everyone was going to heaven when they die. That wasn't the radical component of it. What was radical is that here and now in this kingdom, in this reality, you too mattered, right? There's neither male nor female. There's neither master nor servant. There's neither Greek nor Jew is what Paul was proclaiming about this radical good news. Also, we care about this afterlife, but that wasn't the primary thing why millions of people were accepting the lordship of who this Jesus was. So what happened, like in every religion, you have new people coming in and you always have someone who's been there a minute longer and they're like, well, that's not how I accepted faith. That's not how I was taught to read the Bible as a kid. Those are not the prayers that I said. That's not the baptism that I went through. And we're all centric in some way. We've experienced something good, and now we think that everyone else needs to experience that good thing in the same way that we experienced it, right? But that gets in the way of other people experiencing God in their own unique way. And so Paul is always challenging that reality. So he's sitting here and he's challenging the Jewish Christians of his day saying, stop trying to tell all the Gentile Christians that they need to go get circumcised. And so he talks about it in this idea of flesh. Because when most of us think of flesh, we think of the things that we were taught in youth group, right? Like, I just thought of a boob, I'm going to hell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Boob fans up here, I guess. Clapping, that's great. (laughs) Wonderful. And that's what we think of flesh. But Paul's kind of flipping it on its head. Paul's saying, yeah, there's something called sexual immorality in this world that any type of greedy sexuality is not healthy for you. That's just a thing. Just like any greedy greed is not healthy for you. It's hard to name that thing and to measure that thing, but you got to trust what that thing is in your heart, right? But he's also saying, because you want everyone to be circumcised, because you're withholding from somebody, you're just the same as those people who are being greedy. You're so focused on this um, thing that is supposed to lead to faith that you're missing out on the opportunity for people to actually be connected with God. 
And that happens all of the time in faith. We have giant conversations about missing the point. So we teach people all of these things about apologetics. And we're trying to convince people that, yes, of course the world is only 6,000 years old. And if you just put the two by two and in an arc and this many cubic square feet, and if you remove the dung, you can see how it happened. No, that's missing the point of the mythology of that story. But we do stuff like this all of the time, that the Bible was given to us as a good gift for humanity to figure out the complexity of what it means to be humanity. And how is the Bible most often used in our world? As a weapon to slap people up over the head, right? We use it to attack people instead of it to be healthy for people. Church is supposed to be a community of faith where we all come to the table and we admit to one another our suffering and our pain and our brokenness and that we are in desperate need of grace and something else. And what does it become? A place of exclusiveness, a place where some people are in or some people are out and are you doing the things right? That what Paul's saying is there's all these good gifts that we get and we use them for bad because we're trying to have control. So he says, you need to not be near those people. Beware of them dogs. Beware of these people who are trying to tell you that there's something that you need to do before you can have God. How many of you have heard the story at a church before? All are welcome here. Wink, wink. If, and then when, but. Some words like that, right? Everyone belongs. You know what I mean by that. (laughs) Unless you want to be married here, serve in leadership here, help with the kids here. We use language all the time where we pretend that everyone's welcome, but really we have all these caveats for entry. And what Paul is saying here is there's no caveats for this entry into this kingdom. And beware of people who are making caveats on something that's not even theirs. This thing is God's. But then here's where Paul goes with this, because I think that a lot of us in this room love that, because we've all been a part of these churches. You're like, you're just a dog. Beware of you, right? You told me I belong here. Now we're going to challenge all those conservative places that hurt you so badly. But then Paul moves into some self-awareness, self-awareness and ownership for his own stuff. He said, yeah, beware of these people who might get in the way of your faith and who are distracting you from the good stuff that's coming, right? Also, let me tell you about my stuff. So Paul says, yeah, I was as Hebrew as they come. I was a Benjamite. I got circumcised here. I was a Pharisee. I've got all of my things. What he's also saying is beware of your own ego, Beware of your stuff where now you think that you're so woke because you listened to 30 minutes of one Brene Brown special on Netflix. Come, amen? How many Brene Brown fans here? How many of you have actually finished an entire book? Less hands. How many of you are Richard Rohr fans here? How many of you actually finished an entire Richard Rohr book? Less hands. That's the point, is we live in a world where we watch like, you know, three Instagram videos and saw six tweets. I'm like, I'm woke. Those dummies over there, they don't know nothing. Paul's saying, beware of that. Beware when now you think that your religion, because you go to New Abbey, that you're so much smarter than those dummies from the Midwest that you left. Beware that you think that you're woke now and that you have Jesus all figured out, because you're going to do the exact same thing and exclude just as many people as they did. If you want to focus on who's right and who's wrong, you're going to be equally, um, suffer, or equally hurting just as many people. So Paul points that out. Beware of everyone who's trying to conserve this over here, and beware when you think that you have it all figured out. 
And where Paul eventually leads us to is what we can find commonality in, what we can find unity in, is that we all suffer. I don't know what kind of brand of Christianity you came from or kind of brand of faith that you come from. I don't know what kind of baptisms they did or what kind of sermons that they preached or how they prayed. I don't know where it was and what part of the country or what part of the world. But what Paul says is this, but we're all going to suffer in Christ. We're all going to share in Christ's death because just that's what it means to be human. And what if we gave a little bit more grace that every time that you look at another human being you say, oh, they have their own suffering too. They have their own unique story too. They're trying to figure out in their own way too. What's difficult is in that own way, that their own special way is brushing up against my own special way. And we come at odds with that thing. But Paul's trying to open this up into a bigger reality. And he does that by talking about faith in two ways. And I would say faith is simply this. Faith is enacting our beliefs. It's not just ideologically thinking about something. In the Western world, particularly in Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, we said that faith was all about arranging theological furniture in your head. All right? It was all about having some answers and being able to articulate some things about Jesus. That is not faith. That is called certitude. That has nothing to do with faith. It's where you have an absolute and that you think that you have all of the answers about Jesus. Faith is whatever the belief that you have, you're trying to enact that thing in the world, hoping and believing that that thing will make the world a better place. It needs to be lived out. It needs to be embodied in a certain way. So Paul talks about these two things where he's saying, these things I no longer take certainty in, but that doesn't mean that they're worthless. One of those is that Paul talks about this idea of the law. The law, how most of us think of it, is the simple idea of how are we winning God's favor? Did any of you grow up in a brand of church where you felt like you had to constantly win God's favor? Yeah, I grew up in that world. Like this. Let's play this game where we go, ooh, ah. Ready? Yeah, sometimes that's what I think what God's doing in heaven. All right? I like reading my Bible. Looked at a boob. All right? Chris Tomlin songs. Watched Queer Eye. Oh, got you. Got you. Yeah. They're just following false prophets like Jonathan Van Ness. Come on. You mean new messiahs? Come on. I think a lot of us grew up in that world where we felt like that's what we're doing to God every day. We are either winning God's favor or we're making God so sad. But the idea of the law was not about favor. The idea of the law was actually all about gratitude. That for the Israelites, and Paul was saying is, yeah, I don't find my confidence in this thing anymore because I'm so powerless in my life, but the law is still helpful. And where it's helpful is this reality of I can show gratitude for the life that I have. That's all that the law meant. It was following the Torah, and it was saying, God saved me from something, and now how do I live a life that enacts the gratitude from the salvation that I have received? Law becomes incredibly difficult when you say that now, if I go do all these things, now God is happy with me. No, no, no. The reality is God is already happy with you. God already loves you. God already enjoys you. And the more you realize that, the deeper those things get within your heart, the more that you get to go live in gratitude to that into your life. Of course, there's a shadow side to it because there's a shadow side to everything. 
And then Paul talks about this idea of righteousness. Righteousness, I think, is just simply this idea of doing something right. Or as I like to think of it, is the good camping rules. Just simply leave it better than you found it. Right? Now, if you've ever gone to a campsite, and you show up, and the campsite is really nice, when you leave it, if you pick up one piece of trash, well, great, you left it better than you found it. Some of you, you might show up to a campsite in the midst after a big fire has just happened, and there's things everywhere, and there's erosion that's taken place. And there's all kinds of work that needs to be done. Now, how do you leave it better than you found it? And here's the reality of that. Trade campsites for human beings. There are human beings coming in and out of your life all of the time, some of whom show up, and you just like move a few pieces of litter out. You have a nice coffee, a good brunch, and you talked about Queer Eye, right? Sometimes you have a brunch and you're like, oh my God, what was that? You just sat with a campfire. And Paul's saying, yeah, we want to be people who are participating in the righteousness of Christ, and then we're going to try to leave things better than we found it. But here's this. You might show up to those things, and it's not your job to fix it. You have a part to play in this. This is the both and. You can be helpful in the process and not leave this campsite worse than when you found it, but you will never do all of the repair, reconciliation, and healing for that campsite. It's not your campsite. But you can also leave that campsite worse and don't do that. So Paul is just continuing to encourage us in these things. What would it look like to live a life of gratitude? And what would it look like to leave things more right than when you actually found it? You can do that, but even in that, that's not where your final confidence lies because of this. You can do all of the right things in life is what Paul's saying. You can be the best of the best. You can go to all of the therapy. You can do all of the spiritual direction. You can have all of the community that you want. You can have all the prayer life that you've ever imagined. And there is just some suffering and some wounds that can't be fixed by all of that stuff. You should still do it because it will help your campsite. But there are just some things that are out of your control and out of your power. And I think that we live in a community that needs to be reminded of that sometimes. I'm with you on we need to go to therapy. We promote it in here all of the time. Your therapist cannot fully heal your life. Can help your campsite. Spiritual direction is a gift for you. That person cannot cure you. Prayer is helpful. It's not the end-all answer, right? There's all these things that we can do, but at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is there's just a part in there where only God can do it. And what do we even do with that? Where we have to admit now that I'm powerless. And let me say it again. You are not helpless. Do all the other things. We're advocating for that. We're not just saying, close your eyes and lay a Bible on your face when you go to bed. (laughs) I think I'm cured of my addiction, Lord. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, do your part and now let God do God's part. This week I had therapy with my mom. I, I Love being able to talk with you all about this because my mom in a million years is never going to listen to this podcast, so this is great. <laughs> Hi, mom. Not listening. It, it is sad. I'm going to tell you more why. Uh, I've done three online appointments with my mom now, and it's been this three-year process where I haven't talked with my parents. And, and finally, we got to a place where my mom wants to do therapy, and we're in this process, and we just begin to have these really heavy conversations. And going into this last therapy appointment, I was like, man, do I even want to do this? Like, what, what am I doing this for? For the first time in my life, I realized I grieved the death of my mom a long time ago. I'm just doing online therapy with Janice. 
And it was so heartbreaking for me. And for the first time in my life, we're in this therapy appointment, and my mom's asking me, like, why I'm so angry. I said, I'm not angry. I'm just really sad. Uh, and then she, for the first time, talks about how sad that she was. And she starts to tell me about all these moments where she knew that she abandoned me as a child, how she wasn't there for me. She tells me the craziest story about that when I was six years old, I got chicken pox. And I was this really independent kid, and she needed to go to work. So I just said, well, that's okay. I'll take care of my own chicken pox. And I stayed at home for three days taking care of myself with my chicken pox, like putting calamine lotion on myself. And she's like, I would go to jail today if we did that. I'm just so sorry. And even when I was there, I wasn't there for you. And I remember just staring across this screen, because it's online therapy with my mom. And the therapist says, I think you're distraught. I said, that sounds fair. Um, I think I need some time. And in the last week as I've processed it, I've realized this. I have literally spent $10,000 on therapy about my abandonment issues with my mom. And I'm better for it. I've cleaned up my campsite. I have done the inner work of who am I now? Who do I need to become? I can sit here and blame my mom or blame that church or blame that youth pastor, blame that faith. We can all just blame everything back there for as long as we want. That happened. That sucks. Whatever weird chicken pox story. But now I'm here, and what do I do with that? And the thing that I wanted for 35 years of my life was just for one time that my mom would come to me and say, I am wrong. I have hurt you. And then last Tuesday, like five days ago, I finally got that. And now I said, now where do I go from here? I finally got the thing that I, I paid $10,000 for this therapy, right? Over 10 years, I've done all of my work. And now I'm at a point where I'm sharing in my suffering with Christ, right? And all of that work will not heal me. There will never be a moment where my mom is going to go back and fill my three-year-old heart. There are just some things that God has to do resurrection. And I don't mean that in any trite way. I mean, what else do we have? And what I'm saying by that is, this is the gift that we get is that we get to say, God, I'm powerless, and I need you in this thing. And I think that we live in a room of people of keep doing your work, keep putting all of the investment in there. But you might come to the end of this thing and say, I got the thing I finally wanted, now where do I actually go from here? And I think there's parts of our lives, as helpful as we are, that we simply have to open up our hands and surrender and say, I have nothing. What's next, God? And I think somehow there's joy in that. And I think there's somehow joy in that because that thing is faith. Because it's an unknown road ahead. There's tons of mystery. There's no answers. But I think that's where we get to. It looks like this. That in the beginning of our lives, we have simplicity. where We say, it's just faith. And we try that thing out, and it feels like, no, that wasn't actually helpful. And then you get into the complexity of your life, and you do all of the things that you're supposed to do. You answer all of the questions. You do your Enneagram. You do your therapy. You do, your, you do all the stuff, right? And you still come back out on the other side saying, honestly, I still need faith. It doesn't mean what it meant over there means something way richer and deeper here. But what else do we have as human beings? And we get to share in that gift with one another. Find the same three or four people around you and answer these questions. Where can you show up in your own suffering and where you need to let God show up? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.